The biggest way to decarbonize this industry is to make the jet fuel itself sustainable uh, by using sustainable aviation fuels. Hello, everyone. This is Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and thanks for listening to The Optimistic Outlook. Today, we're going to hear from a guest I've been looking forward to having on the podcast, United Airlines CEO, Scott Kirby. Late last year, our Siemens USA head of sustainability, Matt Helgeson, and I were with Scott and more than 100 other passengers aboard the first flight fueled by what's called Sustainable Aviation Fuel, or SAF. We flew from Chicago O'Hare to D.C. Now, we're going to learn about SAF in this episode and about the EcoSkies Alliance pushing SAF forward. Siemens is a member of the Alliance, and EcoSkies is basically a group of companies aiming to create more demand for SAF. The idea here is that we will collectively benefit as we scale up this cleaner fuel source that offers much lower emissions. You've heard me say often that the pandemic has given us a moment of disruption to create the future we want. And we see that in our sustainability agenda. At Siemens in 2015, we were the first major industrial company to commit to carbon neutrality by 2030. We've since lowered our carbon emissions by 54%. And last year, Siemens upped our commitment. We're now striving to be net zero by 2030 and to achieve carbon, a carbon neutral total supply chain by 2050. Well, in 2018, United was the first U.S. airline to commit to reducing its greenhouse gas emissions 50% by 2050. And more recently, United has pledged to be completely green by 2050 and reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 100%. So as we get into SAF specifically, this is about even more than deploying a fuel source that helps us reduce emissions. This is an example of how companies are looking beyond their own footprints and how they can work together to pursue much deeper decarbonization. United is a partner of ours that helps move our products and helps our people reach customers. So this is an important step for us in our sustainability journey as we take on the monumental task of greening our supply chain, a network that includes more than 17,000 U.S. suppliers nationwide. Take a listen. Scott, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Barbara. Great to be here. It is great to see you again. In fact, in an earlier yeah. episode, I had referenced conversations we had at the UN Climate Change Conference, COP26, yeah. last year. And part of what led us to our conversation today is what we experienced back in December when I had the opportunity to join you on the groundbreaking United flight using SAF. So let's start there. What yeah. did that flight represent to you in terms of the progress being made to ramp up the use of SAF? Yeah, it's it, it was the first step uh, with the long journey to go, but proof of what is possible. You know, aviation is an industry that is one of those really hard to decarbonize industries because of the amount of energy required to fly an airplane. Uh, it's never going to be big airplanes flying with electric power, at least anything that's even on the theoretical drawing board. Uh, and so for as far as the eye can see, at least for long haul flights, our aircraft are going to be powered by jet fuel. Uh, and so the biggest way to decarbonize this industry is to make the jet fuel itself sustainable uh, by using sustainable aviation fuels. That was the first flight uh, in history with passengers on board uh, that was powered with a uh, 100% jet fuel or 100% sustainable aviation fuel in one of the engines. What I'd love to do is get into a little bit more detail on SAF and make sure that our listeners understand it. What exactly is sustainable aviation yeah. fuel? 
So sustainable aviation fuel is is made from a product so that the net is zero. And United, for what it's worth, it rep- our commitment to sustainable aviation fuel is more than double all the rest of the world's airlines combined. Uh, so, and we've been investing in startup companies to create and build this industry. We've got to build the industry. Uh, so one of them is uses landfills. So it takes the product before it goes into landfill, takes the trash before it goes into landfill, sorts the carbon out, and it can create a couple of gallons of jet fuel out of each ton of trash. Uh, that's sustainable. That's not only good for us. Uh, it's also doesn't become ultimately become methane that leaks out, um, you know, and is an even more potent greenhouse gas. We've got another one that is using uh, used cooking oils uh, in California to turn instead of turning throwing that in the trash turning that into sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, the most exciting one, perhaps, is a company called Simtivo, which is using powered liquids. Um, and this is still at the experimental stage, uh, but we, the technology works, uh, where we can literally use some kind of renewable energy, whether it's wind or solar, and you can literally take carbon directly out of the atmosphere, turning thin air into jet fuel, carbon with water, energy from renewable energy, uh, and create jet fuel. So pretty exciting ways uh, to, to create jet fuel without using hydrocarbons uh, pulled out of the ground. It's stunning and and really inspiring. But before we go on and and geek out a little bit more on sustainable aviation fuel, I want to share something with the audience about, um, frankly, your background and and a tidbit from the flight itself. (laughs) You had a test pilot on board that day. And that test pilot was a a fellow U.S. Air Force Academy grad. Tell us about that. Well, he was actually a classmate of mine uh, at the Air Force Academy. It was really cool to get on uh, with with one of our test pilots um, and started the conversation <laughs> with reminiscing about our days uh, going through basic training together 30, whatever, something years ago, <laughs> 37 years ago. Well, and, and to think that, yeah, I would say lab partners in chemistry class we were. now running one of the biggest <laughs> lab experiences. No, we were, yeah, we were lab partners in chemistry. We, we went different directions after that. Um, but I had, I had forgotten that, uh, and he reminded me of it, but that we had been lab partners uh, in chemistry, and, uh, and, you know, great times. Yeah. yeah, so, all right, so from the chemistry lab bench now to the skies, how important is this SAF as far as achieving your overall vision for decarbonization? Well, this is about 50% of our goal to get to 100% green. And when we say we're going to get to 100% green, that is different than the net zero commitments you hear from other airlines or frankly from almost any other corporation uh, because we're going to do it without using traditional carbon offsets. So mm-hmm. think of that as we're going to do it without planting trees um, and counting that as a credit. Um, and I'm happy to talk about why <laughs> what we're doing, I think is by far the better, the more appropriate way uh, for everyone to do it. Yeah. And really the, the key point here is getting to scale with that. And yeah. and yeah, we'll we'll come back to that. Um, I, there's something I wanted to share with you today and get your reaction to it. Early in the pandemic, when things were shut down, I recall reading about at least one positive trend happening at the time. Um, you know, we couldn't drive as much. It was hard to travel. Air quality was improving. Yeah. And, you know, it struck me when this parallel trend was actually shaping the future of sustainability. It showed us that we're going to have to find ways to avoid an either or choice, you know, yeah. economic strength or sustainability. We yeah. have to be able to achieve both. And as optimists, we know that we can. Right. Yeah. And, and I thought you might have an interesting perspective on this. And maybe this goes back to your point about 
um, why you're choosing to do this with changes yeah. in technology rather than offsets. First, I'll make another point that's along those lines, which is we have to be able to travel and interact and connect with each other in today's global world. I think one of the biggest casualties of COVID beyond the loss of life was the lack of global connectivity and cohesion. I first said this at COP26 uh, on a panel uh, where someone was apologizing for flying to the meeting. Um, and I was on the panel with them and it kind of offended me. And I said, you know, I don't think that's right. Uh, because we've lost, you know, when, when United Airlines used to carry a thousand U.S. citizens a day to China and a thousand Chinese citizens to the U.S., that built bridges and understanding and perspective that we are losing when we are not together. And I even there said, and we used to carry several hundred passengers a day from the United States to Russia and from Russian citizens to the United States. And that built bridges that are lost. And the world has become a more dangerous place. Um, a less connected place, a less understanding place when we are not together and not connected. I didn't realize how prophetic those words would be, but I think that has something to do with it. Um, yeah. You know, when Vladimir Putin is isolated and sitting alone at the end of a room and no one is seeing him, you, know, you wind up not getting perspective. Um, and that happens to all of us. Um, and so we have to, you know, we're a social species. We've got to be able to connect with each other. Uh, but we should do so uh, sustainably. On the point about not planting trees, um, you know, it, this one really drives me crazy. Um, almost every company, you know, writes a check, thinks of it as a marketing effort, writes a check to some fund who says we'll plant trees or we won't cut down trees. Um, the reality is most of them are frauds. Um, they're trees that were never going to be cut down anyway. And so it doesn't do anything to actually improve emissions. But the bigger point is, even if they weren't, if we planted every square inch, it's not scalable. If we planted every square inch of the planet with trees that could grow trees, it would account for less than five months of mankind's emissions. And oh, by the way, we'd all starve to death because we just planted over all the farmland. Um, and when every single company is using that as the easy way to claim they are net zero, we will never get close to solving this problem because it just can't scale to the size. Um, and so we've got to use other solutions um, outside of planting trees. Well, now you're speaking my language because at Siemens, we have been, we've really actually built our business strategy around this idea that there are technologies available that can yeah. make a change. We can do yep. things differently. Not only that, but you know, when we make this change, we can be more connected. We can build a more equitable society. Yeah. We can we can yeah. actually use technology to shape yeah. our future. And, and of course, no one company or industry or government can decarbonize our world alone. It really does take broad partnerships yeah. like the EcoSkies Alliance that exactly. you at United launched to increase thank you for SAS. being a partner with us. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thrilled, thrilled to be part of yeah. this. So, you know, my question to you is, give us some ideas about how technology companies, the aviation industry and government can work together yeah. more effectively with the goal of moving faster. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Uh, it, this is a solvable problem, but no one can solve it in isolation. I, I think actually the starting point really is government policy. Uh, the government has got to create the right policy incentives uh, for this to happen. I mean, we already see it happening right now. You know, it's been disappointing uh, with what's happening in Ukraine. Um, you know, a desire to lower the price of fuel. <laughs> you know, like all the work we've done. Um, as a society, you know, uh, to try to decarbonize and reduce the use of, of gasoline. Um, and well, when prices start to go up, we, we go the other direction. Um, and we've got to have the will, the political will, uh, 
to to solve the problem. We've also got to acknowledge it's not going to happen overnight. Um, you know, we can't just we're not going to stop driving internal combustion engines. We're not going to stop flying uh, tomorrow. We're not going to stop using concrete. We're not going to stop growing food. Um, but the technology can play a huge role in starting to move every one of those industries uh, off of real um, of emitting carbon um, and start to lower the number and eventually get to zero. And particularly if you use carbon sequestration, you can ultimately get you know the total net carbon around the world uh, to zero. But it's got to start with the political will. You know, if I was king for a day and could do one thing for climate change, I'd put a price on carbon. Because we put a price on carbon, it's so simple. It's so straightforward. You'll solve it. We'll solve it. You'll create solutions that we'll buy. um, And that will happen everywhere in the economy. The economy will solve it on its own uh, if you just put the right price. And the truth is, it creates a cost to society. Um, And it's beyond me. Well, I understand political, but um, it would be so rational uh, if we could just put a price on carbon. And by the way, I say that as someone whose business would be hurt in the short term. In the long term, I think we'd be better off by doing the right thing. In the short term, it would hurt us, but I'm still an advocate for putting a price on carbon. So, Scott, what you're really saying is that there's an existential threat we're dealing with, and all of this is vitally important. Share your thoughts. Yeah, this absolutely is an existential threat. It's the biggest issue facing our generation. I have seven kids. hope to someday have a lot of grandchildren. I won't be able to look them in the eye if I haven't done my part uh, to make a difference on this. And and I'm an admitted science geek. Um, I've been interested in the science of climate change all the way back to the 80s before people used the term climate change or before people, even scientists, you know, knew it was real. It was just a theory, Um, but it was a fascinating theory. And it's fascinating because the consequences um, are are so significant um, and potentially catastrophic. And there are these tipping points. Um, And there's also a bunch of self-reinforcing cycles, you know, unlike most things that self-correct, climate change is one that as the Arctic melts, for example, and the permafrost melts, it accelerates. It releases methane that's been stored for tens of thousands of years and accelerates it. Um, and so it's really hard to reverse if you don't, if you wait too long to start. Um, and, the, and the consequences are significant. And so I view it you know, as the most important thing for our generation to do. And one of the things that I love about being CEO of United Airlines is it's a platform uh, to really make a difference, not just for United Airlines, not just for what we do, but as a leading example uh, for others to either convince or in some cases compel uh, through pressure uh, others to follow that lead uh, and really change. Uh, Because if we don't solve this, our kids and their children uh, are going to curse us for not doing it. During the pandemic, Scott, we actually had um, basically moved up our own commitment to decarbonization. And I, I think you actually also made bold commitments. Did you find that we actually accelerated progress during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, at United, we went from a 50% net zero commitment to a 100% green commitment while we went through the pandemic. We also made about half a dozen investments in technology startups uh, that are working to decarbonize aviation. Uh, and we sometimes got a little, not much, but we had questions at least about, you know, you're in the middle of the worst crisis in the history of aviation. Should you be really be spending time, energy, and money uh, investing in decarbonization efforts? And to me, uh, there was no time like the present uh, to do it. If anything, the pandemic emphasized the importance of making 
doing the right thing, making the right long-term decisions. And the impact, the fact that we live in a global community um, and that everything that happens affects all of us. And, and so we did double down. It turned out to also be a good business decision for us, I think, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, it created an immense amount of pride with our employees, with our customers. That's not why we did it, uh, but it turned out to be a rallying cry, like that we could not only get through the pandemic, we could get through the pandemic and make a difference and make changes for good, um, even while we were going through the worst crisis in the history of aviation. And we do know that government action can really um, set a framework for private yeah. industry engagement. I, and uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law, we were a strong supporter to get this law passed. And I, yeah. I've really, I've talked about this as our opportunity to invest in the next century of American yeah. growth and leadership. Yeah. And the law puts forward funding for airport modernization as a technology provider to airports. I'm interested to hear your perspective on how infrastructure improvements can help the aviation industry grow yeah. more sustainably. Yeah, infrastructure can have a big role to play across, I think, the whole economy. Uh, but aviation is one. You know, we still fly highways in the sky that were laid down 100 years ago. Uh, you know, if you fly across the country, uh, instead of flying in a straight line, you'll feel the plane turning right and left at various points. Uh, the reason is because despite the fact, you know, that there's no mountains to go around or anything, you're just flying, you could fly in a straight line. And we obviously have the GPS technology to do it. We still fly over what are called tracons. Um, and tracons, the tracons, many of the tracons used to be bonfires. So back in the 20s, when people first started barnstorming and flying, they would light bonfires to know where to go. And eventually they turned into tracons. And so we still fly these crazy highways in the sky. Um, we could cut fuel, carbon emissions and fuel use by 10 to 15 percent. Scott, early, earlier in my career, I got to help build the ground control segment of the global positioning system. And I was, oh, with, the, I was with the Lockheed Martin team that was first building yeah. the wide area augmentation for aviation. Yeah. And, and to hear you talking about bonfires, ancient bonfires guiding the paths I mean, of our just, airplanes is stunning. One other topic I want to touch on with you is the future of technology. While we're focused on this big sustainability agenda, we know that industry and infrastructure really are undergoing transformation. And on an earlier podcast, we learn about additive manufacturing and how that's potentially laying the groundwork for supersonic flight. And at Siemens, we're active on the grid edge, deploying technology that can sustainably lead to widespread yes. electrification, maybe even in aviation. I've, I, yes. I hear you saying probably not for long haul, but I, I want to hear from you, Scott. What, what does the 10-year view of new technology in aviation look like to you? So, you know, you mentioned supersonic airplanes. That, I think that will be uh, an exciting development. The technology is so much more advanced than it was, you know, uh, 50, even 60 years ago, I guess, when the Concorde uh, was developed. There's going to be a lot of developments uh, around artificial intelligence data, uh, what we do for the customer, uh, also what we do for predictive maintenance. Predictive maintenance things are behind the scenes a little bit, um, but making it easier for customers uh, to travel, um, it, that's already happening today where, you know, instead of waiting in a long line when there's a storm at Chicago O'Hare, you can get on your phone and FaceTime, uh, equivalent of FaceTime, a video conference with someone um, from an airport anywhere in the world to help you, you know, where people used to stand for hours in line if there was a line of thunderstorms that would come to a place like O'Hare, waiting for someone at O'Hare to be able to help them. Um, 
that's just one simple example. We're doing a lot of things with more intelligent on deciding when to hold an airplane to wait for connections and all kinds of things like that. Uh, you know, I think there's also, we're looking at interesting technology to do things um, like, you know, use more robots um, uh, on the ground uh, to do things like keep airplanes running, keep airports running when there's weather. Uh, you know, today, if there's a lightning strike within, varies by airport, but within three to five miles an airport, the ramp at the airport has to close for safety for people on the ground. Um, and then you have to wait until there's been no lightning strike for 30 minutes. That's not unique United. And, you know, you can be sitting at an airport and you can see a storm off in the distance um, and a lightning strike happens and the airport is closed effectively for at least half an hour. Um, but using robotics, you know, to be able to keep the airport running um, is, I think, one of the cool things that uh, that we're working on. Uh, electric aircraft, we were the first major carrier to buy uh, electric aircraft. Uh, I think those have a role to play, particularly in short haul, um, small markets. Um, we also have invested, uh, we'll, we'll be, there's two of us now that are going to replace the part of our engine on some of our regional jets that burns jet fuel um, with, you know, a new compressor that uses hydrogen. Um, so those will be the first hydrogen powered airplanes, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and we're going to do it as a retrofit of existing engines. So you're not having to develop a whole new aircraft, airframe, engine technology. Um, you're just replacing a part of the engine. Uh, so that'll be pretty cool. Um, I think you'll see, continue to see those, those kinds of innovations. From a customer perspective, there'll be some of the big ones like supersonic that are really different. Um, but the just probably the rest of it will be the feel of it. Let's get easier and easier to travel. Scott, it's incredible to hear about the innovation that's happening in, in your business. And I, I'd love to share an optimistic outlook with this audience. And so paint the picture for us. One of the things I've realized as the CEO at United is that I think we can do, I know we can do everything to build the biggest and the best airline, be a great airline for customers, be a great airline for our employees, be a great airline for our investors. But because we're a high profile brand, we can make a bigger difference in the world than just United. Our commitment to sustainable aviation fuel, again, is more than double all the rest of the world's airlines combined. A record I hope that doesn't stand very long because I hope they all catch up. And I've talked to CEOs from around the world who are interested in doing it, um, but we're leading the way and help breaking that ground for them. Um, and then the other one is, which we haven't talked about on this call, but diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, There's far too much talk, not nearly enough action in the in both politics and corporate America. We're taking real action at United. Our Aviate Academy, I think, is the example A, uh, where we're beginning only U.S. airline to own a trading academy where we can train pilots from the ground up, people who've never even had a chance to fly. So we can give them better training, give them better, you know, from the, from the ground up uh, than they would have gotten through traditional flight school. Uh, but we can also, you know, have diversity there for today. Uh, less than 20% of the pilots in the country are either women or people of color. At our Aviate Academy, 80% are, are women or people of color. Um, and so those are examples that we can make a difference in the world, not just be a great airline, um, but be a leading citizen uh, of the world to make a real difference. Well, Scott, we at Siemens are counting on you. Uh, you, you. You move our people and our materials. We rely on you every single day. And I can't thank you enough for everything well, we, you're doing. And Thank you for and, your business. And thank you for your partnership um, because you have supported us and things like the EcoSkies Alliance. And, and our partnership goes, goes beyond a business relationship. Uh, to a partnership of shared values um, and goals for the future. What a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you.
Thank you, Barbara. Wow, what an inspiring leader. I mean, to hear Scott talk about his position at United Airlines and the kind of leadership he's shown, both in climate, in diversity, equity, and inclusion, in the, the work of the transportation industry as it morphs and changes and prepares us for a more sustainable future. Every one of us is in roles that have a role to play when it comes to this world that we're creating together. So head on over now to our show notes for more resources about SAF and the EcoSkies Alliance. You'll also see some links about Siemens' commitment to climate action, how we're supporting the bipartisan infrastructure law and airport modernization, and how we're helping customers to execute their decarbonization goals. That includes a new $100 million capital program we just launched to help small and medium businesses in the U.S. jumpstart their efforts. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or to the Siemens YouTube channel. And for show notes and more, go to Siemens.com optimist.